Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to week three of a little bit of wisdom can go a really long way. I know that some of you were saying that prayer in a little bit different way a few weeks ago when we first started this quarantine and you didn't have much toilet paper, you were hoping that a little bit of toilet paper would go a really long way. This is a much better situation. A little bit of wisdom can go a really long way. And our, our, real, our, our anchor verse is Proverbs chapter four, wisdom is supreme, therefore get it, get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Over the last couple of weeks, um, I've been hearing from many of you that you uh, had received your stimulus checks. And uh, congratulations uh, for that. And um, what I want to talk to you about today, uh, when it comes to the Word of God and when it comes to kind of the, the practical side of where we're living right now, is what does, what does stimulus checks and wisdom, how, how do we... How do we navigate what the Bible says about finances? And, and so today I've titled this message uh, a little bit of both of these things. We're going to call it uh, Stimulism. That's, that's what we're doing today. Now, good luck to Pastor Edgar at Iglesia Timber Creek uh, uh, translating Stimulism. I don't know what that's going to sound like. So good luck, Pastor Edgar. Now, here's the deal. Stop. Hold the phone. Hang on, time out. You, I, I know some of you are already getting ready to scroll past Facebook Live because I'm talking about money. We're talking about finances. I know you're already going, ugh, wait a minute. Really? And, and I just want to say, duh, I know. I know it can be awkward. I know it can be a little weird. I know that people get funny when you talk about money, especially when it comes to church. And so I want to kind of clear some things up by, by kind of talking to you about some popular statements that I've heard over time when it comes to money and talking about finances from a spiritual sense. Statement number one, all right? Here's the first statement that I've heard. All the church wants is my money. <laughs> no, that's not true. We don't want anything from you. We want everything for you. And I've said it before, but, but when you think the church is all about getting after your money, you are confusing the church with Miller Lite and movies and Mexican food and medical bills. Oh, what I would give to just sit in a Mexican food restaurant right now. But that's, that's what, everybody's, everything's after your money. You can't scroll on Facebook without having some kind of sponsored advertisement for something that, that you know, Facebook listened to you in the middle of the night, what you were, you were talking about, and then all of a sudden it posted it for you. All, right, all the churches after, they just want my money. No, we're after something for you. Statement number two, though, here's another one. I don't like anyone telling me what I should and shouldn't do with my money. <laughs> well, let me just say, you must not be married then, because I can tell you that happens all the time in my house. <laughs> well, you need to be the man of the house. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm, I'm the head of the house, but she's the neck. Okay, I'm just telling you right now. Um, and can I also say that if you don't like anyone telling you what you should and shouldn't do with the money, can I just be honest with you? You haven't read the word of God. You haven't read the Bible. Because the Bible is clear on instructions of how to deal with our finances. All right, now I digress. Statement number three. 
What does statement number three say? Why talk about money right now, okay? We got COVID crisis, we're quarantined, we got all this junk going on. Why talk about money when there are so many other things to talk about? Why not talk about faith? Why not talk about hope? Why not talk about love? Why not talk about the cross? Okay, we're gonna get all, we're gonna get there. But, but I, I am about not just giving you a, a Sunday sermon that's about the dimensions of the ark or how long the Israelites were in the wilderness and, and kind of what happened and what the manna was made of. Like that can, that can be okay conversation, but I wanna give you handlebars for life. The word of God is active and can be applied right now. And you ought to be able to apply what we're talking about today, Monday or Thursday or Tuesday in a boardroom, in the living room, uh, in, the, in the checkbook and, and, and in your life, you ought to be able to apply the word of God. And the truth is that many of us watching, the truth is we don't got it all together when it comes to money. In fact, the average American is financially lost. They're, lo they're lost. They're juggling one bill to pay another. They're swimming in debt. They're more, they got more month than they've got money. And most Americans are concerned about their retirement. And as a pastor, when when we talk about how God wants to bless your finances by putting him first, it's really difficult to, to have that conversation when on top of all that is piled on all of these realities. I get it. It's tough. And so what I want to do is, is, is kind of talk real, give you some, some handlebars today. And I want, I want to start by saying, really, there shouldn't be, there shouldn't be any mystery in money. A dollar equals a dollar. It's not like you wake up tomorrow and all of a sudden a dollar is only really 80 cents. Now, maybe worth that, but a dollar is a dollar is a dollar. Like there's no mystery in it. But we, we mysteriously wonder where it went. We wonder, why don't I have any of it left? You know, there's no mystery in money. There's mystery in love. There's mystery in relationship. There's mystery in what really happened to Carol Baskin's husband. There's a lot of mystery out there, but there's no mystery in money. But we have unintentionally made it so mysterious that we cause problems in our lives. In fact, when there's mystery in your money, it leads, it leads to fog in your life. You can't quite see clearly. And the more fog you have, the more pressure you feel in your finances. And the more pressure you have, the more conflict comes in your relationships, in your marriage, in your family, in your own life. The more conflict you have, the more loss you experience. And I, God, God has a better plan for you. He's got a better plan for your life. In fact, Jesus, Jesus wants you to know that, that there's a better plan for our finances. He, he takes the mystery right out of, right out of it. In fact, when you look at what Jesus did and how he talked about financial stewardship, 60% of his teachings are about money and possessions. One in 10 verses in the gospel are about money. 2,300 verses in the Bible are about financial stewardship. And the question that you might ask, why? Why did Jesus spend so much time talking about finances, talking about money? I'll tell you why. Because just like it is in 2020, all since the beginning of creation, Jesus knew that he needed to talk about stewardship because money can easily become your go-to God. Now, it looks different for us 
with credit card statements and car loans and special things and, and maybe a lack of contentment and advertisements hitting you in the face a thousand times a day. But even the Israelites dealt with uh, a go-to God instead of the one true God. It's why, it's why God gives the commandments and he says, thou shall have no other gods. And one of the big issues that the Israelites had because they were in an agrarian society the way they made their income was by harvest, by planting crops and harvesting crops. And when they would harvest, if there was no rain, they wouldn't do well. And so when it, when it was, was dry for a while, all of a sudden, the Israelites, they kind of started the whole thing, make it rain. <laughs> anyway, they, they, they would go to a go-to God and they would ask the go-to God, will you make it rain? Because our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's not doing it. And, and, and so they would rely on a go-to God. And the same happens for us today is all of a sudden money can become a go-to God. Jesus is clear that, that where your heart is, where your treasure is, your heart is, they're, they're connected. Your, your money and your heart, they're, they're, they're connected. That's not a bad thing. That's just reality. Where your heart is, your treasure is going to be. Where your treasure is, your heart is going to be. And you can't serve God and money. Jesus wants us to figure out how to have money without money having us. And wisdom is a huge peace in this. And so when you go to the book of Proverbs, today we are going to drink from the Proverbs fire hose baby. We are going to gallop through Proverbs and we're going to look at four areas of, of financial stewardship that Proverbs unpacks. And these four areas are wealth, what does the Bible say about wealth, what does the Bible say about poverty, about greed, and about generosity. Those four arenas of financial stewardship are very clearly drawn out all throughout scripture, but especially in Proverbs. And a little bit of financial wisdom, I promise you, is gonna go a long way. So let's gallop through some of these things and let's start with wealth. What does the Bible say about wealth? Well, let's start here. Wealth has a degree of security. I know we feel a little bit safer when we have a little bit of money in the bank. When, when things get a little bit lower, you can start to get worried and, and, and emotions can go a little haywire. So wealth has a degree of security. Even Proverbs says that. Proverbs 18, 11, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. It, it, it can be security, but truthfully, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And if you're not careful, that security that you find in finances can quickly crumble when things get crazy. But it can have a degree of security. When it comes to wealth, there can be power and influence in wealth. Like it can give you, it can open doors that wouldn't normally open without wealth. Proverbs uh, 22, seven says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, let me, let me just kind of fix something here that some of you have, a, I think, a twisted understanding of this scripture that because the borrower is slave to the lender that you should never borrow money. Um, you should be good steward. You should be wise with your finances on borrowing. 
But can I tell you that this is more showing you the relationship of you and the bank and that there's going to be relationship and you are, you are having to serve the bank until that, that loan is paid off. You need to know your position because the bank is going to have the authority in that and you need to understand it. And it can give you power and influence when you have finances. Wealth. You shouldn't trust it. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots. We're supposed to trust in the name of the Lord our God. And those, Proverbs eleven twenty eight. those who trust in their riches, they're gonna fall. Be careful if that's what you put your trust in, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. The righteous, those that are trusting God for their source. When it comes to wealth, the Bible says, don't overwork yourself to be wealthy. Don't just like grind and grind and grind and grind because Proverbs is clear in 20, chapter 23. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. There's a reason why God worked six days and rested the seventh because we need to recharge to be ready to take on the next day. And you know what a Sabbath is all about? It's not just like, you know, being lazy. It's actually about uh, not producing it's just about not producing. You, you, you can be active on Sabbath, but it's about not producing so that you're reminding yourself, God is my source. God is who produces. I'm gonna work hard, but he's the one that provides everything. Wealth, it can easily disappear. It, it can be like water in your hand. It can spill right out if you're not careful. In fact, Proverbs says it like this in chapter 23. Cast but a glance a glance at riches, and before you know it, they're gone. Some of you, that's what happened to your stimulus check already. You like, you looked in the, you look, you looked in the bank, and you're like, woo-hoo! And now you're like, dang it, <laughs> where, did, where did it go? Because it surely sprouted wings and flew off to Best Buy like an eagle. Now that's, that's wealth, and that's what the Bible says about Wealth, as we continue to gallop, so no, wealth, wealth is, it's, it's okay to have wealth. Let's talk about another piece, poverty. Let's talk about what the book of Proverbs says about poverty. And, and the truth is, um, you know, you just need to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You just need to, come on, they just need to get a job. They just need to work harder. Well, do you know that when it comes to poverty, sometimes it can sometimes be the result of something outside of our control. Sometimes there's, a reason uh, from losing everything to persecution. Uh, th those kind of things can, uh, un unforeseen circumstances, uh, there can be a loss of wealth, loss of the ability and, and be living in poverty because of a, of a handed down um, kind of uh, generational thing. Poverty, the Bible says in Proverbs 30, there are those whose teeth are swords and whose jaws are set with knives to devour the poor from the earth and the needy from among mankind. Let me give you one little piece of wisdom. Avoid at all costs these cash your checks little places that will let you cash your check in advance and give you money and then charge you crazy like stupid interest. Avoid that because... Their teeth are like swords and their jaws are set with knives. Before you know it, you can get so far behind and it devours you. And it's wrong. It's wrong to get rich on, on the back of the poor. Poverty, 
It can be self-inflicted, not just out of your control, but sometimes you know what? You did it to yourself and you can be self-inflicted through laziness. Proverbs, Proverbs 14, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Yeah, someday I'm going to do that. Or yeah, I'm going to take another course on that. Or eventually I'm going to do that. Like get up and work. Do it. Make it happen. Get after it. Chase after it. Have a good spirit. Now, now don't, don't work yourself to the bone. But you have to find the balance of working hard. Here's another reality about poverty. It can also be self-inflicted through pleasure seeking. Not just through being lazy. But like, you know, not knowing when to say no. Not, not knowing when to push the contentment button and have and have more and have and have more and have and have more. And Proverbs chapter 21 says, whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. Like if you just have this insatiable desire. In fact, that's the next thing that poverty can be self-inflicted when you can't say that's enough. It's enough. Proverbs 23, drunkards and gluttons, they can't say enough. They, they, they don't know their limits. Drunkenness is not knowing the limit. Gluttony is not knowing the limit. And drunkards and gluttons, no matter whether you're drunk on power, whether you're drunk on success, whether you're, you're drunk on money or you're drunk on alcohol, whether you're gluttoned for punishment or gluttoned for food, and, uh, drunkards and gluttons, they become poor. And drowsiness clothes them in rags. Be careful. Poverty can, can take on. So, so here, here's what I want you to know about what Jesus says about wealth and the poor, about wealth and poverty. Jesus says, I didn't come to make you rich. If that's what you've been sold in a church, I'm telling you, that doesn't, you, you, that doesn't work globally. And the gospel is global. The gospel is universal. All right. There are people that will never be rich, but they are so wealthy with Jesus inside of them. It has nothing to do with what they have. It's about who they have in their heart. Jesus didn't come to make you rich, but he also didn't come to make you poor. Okay. Here's why Jesus came. Jesus came to give you life in him. And he came to show you life living in him that he's enough. If his eye is on the sparrow, he's going to take care of you. And so whether you are uh, wealthy or whether you're dealing with poverty, you can have what you need when you have Jesus and life in him. But now there's a, there's a wrench thrown in the, in the fan here, okay, uh, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's an issue here between wealth and, and poverty, and it's something that we can deal with, and it's the next piece of wealth, and it's called greed. Greed. I wonder if you've ever dealt with that. I, I have to examine my own heart of whether I've been greedy. Um, greedy to get the credit. Uh, greedy to get more and more. And not be willing to share that. Um, Here's the truth about greed. The proverb says, you cannot wholeheartedly serve the Lord and be greedy. Listen to me. Let me back it up. You cannot wholeheartedly serve Jesus and be a greedy person. You can't do it. You can't truly bow a knee as you're chasing after the next thing. Greediness builds hypocrisy in the Christ follower's life. Don't be a greedy person. 
Scripture says, all day long, that greedy person, it craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. That's what we're after. Uh, The greedy person, there's not enough money in the world for all their greed. In fact, we live in such a greedy world, there's not enough money for everybody if we're driven by greed. But can I tell you, because Jesus owns it all, because God has provided, because God has actually designed since the beginning of humanity, how even the church would operate and how life could be sustained and how even the poor, uh, the Bible talks about how every farmer should give the corners of their crop. They don't give their whole crop, but they they don't give 50% of their crop, but they should give the corners of their crop. And if, if we were good stewards and we followed the biblical pattern for taking care of issues, we would find that there's never enough money for all the greed in the world, but there is plenty of money in the world for all the needs in the world. So we've got the wealthy, we've got the poor, we've got the greedy. But let's talk about, let's talk about who God's designed us to be. If, listen, if you are just kind of investigating the claims of Christ, you can live however you want to live. I mean, you can be after that cheddar, baby. You can be after that green salad. You can be after it chasing the dough. But if you've bowed a knee to Christ, this is where we're all designed to live. And that's that we would move beyond just being about wealth, that we would just not be focused on poverty, that we would definitely avoid greed at all costs, but that we would be the generous. Do you know that generosity is something that you can't argue with. Like you can argue all kinds of philosophies on Facebook. It's really hard to argue with someone who's generous. Oh, I can't believe they gave the shirt off their back. <laughs> like it's hard to argue with generosity. And here, here let, me give, let me give you just a few thoughts on generosity um, and the generous. Here's what they experience, the wealth, the wealthy, the, the poor, the greedy, here's what the generous, they experience more, not less. Now you would think, you would think that those that are generous, that they never have enough because they're giving stuff away. But actually the Bible shows us that Jesus turns that upside down. The same way he left heaven for earth, he left kingdom to become a servant. He flips the whole thing that we, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And the generous, they experience more, not less. Proverbs 11, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. It's amazing the doors that generosity opens. It's amazing the viewpoint that you have when you're a generous person. You know what? The generous, they're happy. They're they're, they're happy people. It's really hard to have a spirit of generosity and be mad all the time. Like I guarantee you, if you're upset all the time and you're cranky and you're like, you know, you got the spirit of Ebenezer Scrooge, I want to tell you, you're not happy. You're stingy. You're greedy. But the generous are happy. They're happy people. If people say, I wish you'd be a little bit more happy, I would also challenge your generosity. Honestly, I would. I would challenge it. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 11. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And many times when we're joyful, when we're happy, it's because we've had a refreshing. We're able to breathe in fresh air. Do you know the generous? They are truly blessed. They're they're truly blessed. It's not about how much you have in the bank. Really generous people can be, rich people can never feel like they're blessed. 
sometimes. But generous people, no matter what they have, they understand what real blessing is. And Proverbs says in chapter 28, whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing. But those who close their eyes to poverty will be cursed. Uh-oh, watch it, careful. Does that mean that every time you pass someone that's holding a cardboard sign that you ought to give them something? No, no. But it doesn't mean the opposite, that every time you pass someone holding a cardboard box or hold, uh, holding a cardboard sign, that you just automatically assume, that's pathetic. That you ought, to, you ought to have a heart of generosity and see, just see what's going on. I met a friend a few weeks ago um, in front of a local store, and uh, they needed help. And I, I took a few moments, and I, haven't, I, I don't have a perfect track record on this, but, but I, I took the time and I just said, hey, tell me your story. T- tell me about how you, kind of tell me how you, you ended up where you are right now. And their story was, was beautiful and broken. And taking the time to hear where they were coming from built, built an understanding in me. And I, I don't, I don't want to just close my eyes to people in need. I hope that during this season of uncertainty that our church doesn't close our eyes to the needs around us and that you as the church, that you don't close your eyes to those around you. And you know what's the beauty about the generous? The generous are rewarded. There's, there's rewards that come with those that are generous. Um, in fact, this one comes out of not Proverbs, but the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, one of the very last chapters. Here's what Jesus says. Look, I'm coming soon. We don't know when. That's a mystery. There's no mystery in money. There's mystery in his second coming. I'm coming soon. And I'm bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. Okay, now stop. We want to make it really, really clear at Timber Creek Church that your salvation is not based ever on what you could do, but on what Jesus has already done. It was Jesus who paid for your salvation on the cross. It's a free gift. You receive it by faith. You receive it by grace through faith. But faith without works is dead. And I want you to know that as you are generous and as you as you leverage your giftings and you leverage your bags of gold and not bury them, Jesus is gonna see that and he actually will repay you according to your deeds. So there, there are the realities of storing up treasure in heaven by the way we are managing the treasure here. So, now that we see the wealth and the poor and the greedy and the generous, what do we do with all this? What should we do? What's, what's, what, do we, what do we do to activate the right attitude here? Well, we go back to the same chapter that we were in last week, Proverbs chapter three. And right after it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways submit to him and he'll make your path straight. Talks about don't be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord. And then verse nine of that same chapter, here, here's, what, here's what the author says. Honor the Lord with your wealth. It doesn't say honor the Lord with your lips, honor the Lord with, 
with your church attendance, although those are part of the things we do to honor him, but honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits, the very first portion. In fact, the first portion is the best portion. It's considered the tithe, the 10th. So one out of 10, that's a 10th with the first fruits of all your crops or all your income. Unless you're a farmer, you, you do it for, with your crops. It, but if you have a paycheck, it's the first fruits. It's the 10th. It's the tithe. Honor, honor the Lord. Give him the reverence that he's due. Give him what he deserves. And it's the first fruits of all your crops. Not half of them, not some of them, not just when you get around. Can I just say something to you? A stimulus check is an increase. It's an increase. And you ought to consider honoring God with the first portion, with the, with the, with the tithe, with the tenth. Now, why does God care about that? In fact, why is the first so important to God? Why not just when I get around to it? Well, I can answer this question very easily because God gave us his first and his very best. God didn't give us his second best. He didn't give us plan C. He, he didn't give us kind of when he got around to it. No, before the foundations of the earth were formed, the Lamb of God was going to be slain. He gave us his very best. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is our first fruits from God. Paul later in the book of Colossians says, the son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. One of the most popular verses in all of the 66 books, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world he gave. And he didn't just give something. He gave his one and only, and I would just say his one and only first fruits, only firstborn, his only most valuable, highest, grandest, most beautiful offering, most generous offering in heaven, his one and only son. So why be generous? Because God was generous to you while you were still a sinner. He, he was generous to you. And so the question is, if God was willing to be that generous and give his absolute best for me, shouldn't I trust him enough to honor him with my income? I mean, I know you have your own theories and I know, ah, the church, I'm not, I don't believe in the tithe. I don't believe in, in all this. That's an Old Testament thing. Jesus himself in the book of Luke says to the Pharisees, you're all focused about giving a tithe of all these things, but you don't do justice and you don't serve the Lord. He says, actually, you should do both. <laughs> Jesus even says, like, it should be a part of our, our life. And can I, I just want to say to you, If, if you can't honor him with your giving, I wonder if you've really began to trust him. Because when we can give him the first part, it's a signal, Jesus, I'm gonna lean not on my own understanding. 
I'm not gonna try and just manage 100% of me with my, my finances without you. Don't you think the wise thing would be God, creator, if you said put you first, I'm gonna do what you told me to do. And that kind of wisdom goes a really long way. In fact, when you engage that kind of wisdom, God says, I will provide for you and I will protect you. The foolish thing would be, let me provide and protect for myself. The truth is God will let you do that. But the wise thing, the wise choice, Jesus, I put you first in everything, including my finances. Now that can be tough when you're strapped. That can be tough when you're going paycheck to paycheck. It can be tough. But I want you to know it's even tougher to try and live life without the covering of God. So choose your battle. Choose this day who you're going to serve. Choose who you're going to trust. Would you pray with me? Father, this is a tough talk, but it's so important. Please don't let us have any other go-to gods beside you. You're enough. And we want to honor you the way you want to be honored, in the time that you want to be honored, and how you want to be honored. You want to be honored with the best. You want to be honored or first thing. And you want to be honored with all of our heart. And part of the way we show that is by giving you a portion of everything else. So Lord, I pray that you would help all of us engage boldness when it comes to giving. And Lord, that we would trust you. We would put you to the test and see if you won't just come through. Whoa. What a wise thing to do. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, wherever you are, maybe the, the first things first is you need to give him your heart. Before you even think about your wallet, he wants your heart. You would just say, Jesus, take my heart. I give you not a portion of my heart. I give you all of my heart. Help me to live for you. We surrender to you today, Jesus, and it's in your precious name we ask it. And everybody said amen. Amen.